I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on sports epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. Welcome everyone to the Ask Mindset Podcast. The super, super special episode today. I've been like thinking about it for months. I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to talk today. I'm here with Trey Wirtz and his father, Langston Wirtz Jr. As you may or may not know, I'm assuming you know, Trey Wirtz is in his senior year as a student athlete at Notre Dame where he plays basketball and he majors in economics and plans on pursuing his master's in business analytics with a sports analytics concentration and plans to continue to play basketball for the Fighting Irish. Let's go. I'll introduce Langston. Langston Words Jr. has been an entertainment and sports columnist at the Charlotte Observer since 1988. He's covered music, video games, entertainment, and mostly sports during his time at the paper, which, if my math is correct, is 34 years. What would be this? Yeah, go to me. Okay, it will be this year. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having Thank me. You. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's special because I have a personal relationship with Trey Langston and the family, which includes Whitney Wirtz and Kamani Wirtz. I have known this family since undergrad, and I'm not going to say how long that is. <laughs> and I've known the family before Trey was even born. And as Langston knows, was brought to tears when he and Whitney asked me to be Trey's godmother. I remember the moment. I remember where we were. I remember the moment. And I remember you said, wow, Lisa's taking this kind of serious. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) You did and you have. You've been a great godmother of me. It's absolutely... I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I don't know if Trey remembers this. You were a ring bearer in my wedding. Yeah, I, I have pictures, but <laughs> I won't be showing those around anytime soon unless <laughs> Trace it's okay. But that was a very special time in my life. And ever since then, being able to be with you through these years and now, and most recently being able to see you play live here in California in March Madness. Let's start there. I mean, what was it like for you to play in that tournament? against those teams and alongside your teammates? Yeah, I mean, it was fun. As a kid, we all dreamed of playing in the tournament. We watched it on TV every March. I mean, elementary school days to roll the, the little TV on the stand into the room and class school would almost shut down when the AC tournament March Madness come on. So, I mean, to be able to do that, it was surreal. And I wish we could have got that last game, but overall, we had a good experience. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think it's the dream of many to at least be able to have the opportunity to show up and compete because we live on different coasts and you're now in a different state for college. It's hard for me to come watch you, but I remember the times that we've come to tournaments as a family during Thanksgiving. We've been to Vancouver. I mean, we've done all kinds of things, so it's cool. I was like so happy to be able to see you and cheer you on. Langston, what's that like for you to see him, see him on TV and to cheer him on? It's a dream come true for me because I know it's a dream come true for him. I knew this is something he wanted to do. Trey's loved basketball since he was a little itty-bitty kid. You know, we bought him a, a little Nerf hoop when he was a baby. I mean, he would just stay up all night long shooting on our Nerf hoop. I mean, to the point where would keep you up, you know, he's shooting on that Nerf hoop. And to see him out there, they had a slow motion capture of him in the last game to play against Texas Tech right before they go to commercial. And you could just see he had this big smile on his face. He just hit a three-point in the corner. And he just looked in his element. And I just said, you know, this is what all that work has kind of led into. And, and this is, you know, kind of the payoff. And I've just... As a dad, you're just happy to see your kids do what it is they want to do and do it well. And be happy about it, right? And have fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yes, I know. I know that's the type of dad you are. I mean, well, let's back up. Since he was an itty bitty, the Nerf football or the Nerf basketball and football probably, but you chose basketball. What was it, Trey, about basketball that moved you or that had you stay committed to it versus any other sport? Well, for me, I hate the the outside weather. And in Charlotte, you get all of it. The rain, the occasional snow, the hot days, cold days. Our weather's very bipolar. So playing football, we got to probably the end of the season. There was one practice where it was very cold, snowing. And there's a drill called the Oklahoma drill where you kind of get within about 10 yards of each other and just go pretty much run into each other with the cold. And that after that day, I was like, this football is not for me. <laughs> so for me, it kind of came down to basketball and golf. I got to a point probably, I want to say fifth or sixth grade, where when that kind of came to me, it was like, you're going to have to choose one. And I can't remember exactly why I chose basketball, but I ended up choosing basketball and it worked out. Yeah, well, the rest is history, right? The rest is history. I mean, during that time too, didn't you earn a black belt in martial arts? Yeah. So um, when I was really little, I would say like before even elementary school, my parents kind of got me into Taekwondo and I continued that probably throughout elementary school. I ended up earning a black belt fairly early on, but just with kind of, I had so much going on with school, basketball, Taekwondo, just trying a bunch of different sports. I ended up having to choose what kind of what I wanted to do and I ended up having to give that up. But yeah, that was something that they had me in early on and it was a cool experience. Yeah, definitely. And I know you guys still play golf as a family. You guys go out, come on too. When did things start to change? Like when did things start to get pretty serious for the sport? Was it in high school? I would say middle school. It was actually sixth grade. Me and my dad, I don't know if he remembers this, but uh, we went to a middle school game at South Charlotte Middle School and we sat at the top and looked at it. We kind of sat there and at the time I was a little smaller, not in height, but just in frame. And uh, he kind of looked at me and He's like, if this is something you want to do, you're going to have to like really dedicate yourself to it. From that day on, it was kind of on from there. And I kind of started to dedicate all my time towards basketball. And I was always a skinny kid growing up. So I knew I was going to have to work on my frame. And I continue to do that as long as the skills and the rest is history. Yes. Do you remember that, Langston? I do remember that day. And I remember that time, you know, Trey was always tall. He was almost two foot tall at birth. My wife was like five two, So it was like the impossible baby, but he was always tall, always really skinny. And I knew that he was going to have to gain some weight, gain some bulk. And he's a really good golfer. I mean, he had a beautiful golf swing. I was really into golf at that time. I worked my way down to about a seven handicap. And my buddies were probably better than me. We used to play with a guy who played on the PGA Tour. And he said, you know, Trey could play Division One high major golf, you know, if he really dedicates himself to it. But he really loved the basketball thing. And so I knew that he was going to change his body. And in eighth grade, he broke his wrist. He was playing for Muggsy Bogues' AAU team. He broke his wrist. And one of my buddies who played the NFL basically took that time when he was recovering from his broken wrist to work him out. And they put on 20 pounds within, I don't know, three months, maybe two months. That was kind of when he kind of really started to take off. I mean, he was always really good because he could shoot the ball from far out. But now he could go inside and, and guys can push him around. And that's when I kind of knew that, yeah, he's going to be pretty good at this. Because he's always been one of the best shooters. I mean, one of the best shoes I've ever seen. So once he added that, you know, little bulk and was able to drive a little bit, I thought that, you know, that was the right decision. And it, it was hard. Like you said, the Taekwondo was like a full-time obligation. I mean, you're in the sports, you know how it is. The basketball is a full-time obligation. But, you know, we were doing football. That was more of a seasonal thing. You really did have to choose. You really can't do all three. You can like mess around with one or two, but one has to be your main thing. And he chose basketball as his main thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know that. It can be a big commitment, not just for the athlete, but the whole family, traveling. Yeah, there's no more vacations. Yeah. I mean, that's the vacation. You got to work your vacation around where you're going to be. We know. We met your you. vacation is where you go. Yeah, we met you in Las Vegas because that's where you were playing and that was the vacation. So we get it. We get it. That's the same thing with my daughter, Malaya, as you know. So we have to work around it and that's what it is. But for those of people out there who might not know what it's like to be the parent of a high-level athlete like Trey, what is the commitment like? Like, how do you stay committed? How do you encourage him to stay committed? Well, there's BC and AC, before car and after car. <laughs> before car is very difficult because literally you're taking him to school. He went to private schools. We're taking him to school in the morning. You're picking him up in the afternoon. Then he has to go to workouts. So it's not just bring him home. It's like, okay, pick him up, get him something to eat, 
scrambling, doing homework in the car. Now you go into the training facility. He started working out with the guy who eventually became Stephen Curry's trainer, mm-hmm. Brandon Payne. Mm-hmm. And so we went out to Brandon three, four, five times a week. And it was, I don't know, 45 minutes from the house. I mean, it's a good ways. You pick him up, you go out there. I'm in the car trying to do my work. He's inside working out and then he comes home and then he's hungry again. So you have to feed him again. And then you're trying to figure out homework and school's hard. So he's up late at night. So it's a commitment as a parent just because my job was really flexible, allowing me to do all that. You know, if I had a clock in at eight, clock in at five, it would have been just about impossible. Now, AC after car is a lot easier because he just goes and does his thing and just has to be responsible enough to come home on time and get his work done. And his grades were always good, so we never really worried about it. And his baby brother's a little bit different. (laughs) But Trey was always pretty even-keeled, and so I trusted him. And I knew he really wanted this. I was trying to do my best to support him financially, time-wise, whatever he needed to try to give it to him. I appreciate it. I don't know if you know this, Trey, but when I was at the house with you and I came for your high school graduation, your mom told me a story of how she was driving down the road close to the house. And she was trying to get somewhere. And we know how Whitney can try to get somewhere. And so she's going. And then she's like, why is this person going so slow? Like they're driving like a grandma, she was saying, right? Why didn't you come up beside you when it was you? (laughs) I did not know that. (laughs) And we laughed about it, but she was like, and thank God that that was him and he was driving like that. Like, I appreciate seeing him in real life driving responsibly and slow. And like she said, you had like it your hands on the like, what is it? The right position on the steering wheel. And you were very like serious about it. And so it actually reassured her. But that was a funny story. I know that this family, your family is committed to academics fully. Like what was your GPA, average GPA in high school? And what is it now probably going to turn out to be here at the end of college? I think high school, I finished around a three, seven-ish. Yeah, I mean, like coming up, like, I like to go outside after school and play. Like we, we lived in a cul-de-sac at our old house and I had some friends at the in the cul-de-sac. We used to go outside after school, but until I finished my work, I wasn't allowed to go outside. So that was always something that sold me early. And then got to the point where if I made uh, below, I want to say if I had more than one B or two Bs in my report card, I couldn't play basketball, stuff like that. So it was always kind of instilled for me early on. And that translated to high school. And then now college is a little different. I think I'll finish around a, a 3-0. But it's just a little different in high school with kind of all the stuff that's kind of going on. But I would say that kind of prepared me to do well in college, too. Mm-hmm. There are other sort of, is it requirements or responsibilities that your parents have put on you? I know that you had to learn a different language. Tell us about that and your experience with it and your travel to China. Yeah. So when you go up through school, you got to choose a foreign language. And most times it's either Spanish or French. And most kids usually go the Spanish route. But the private school I went to at the time offered Mandarin Chinese. And at the time, my mom was doing some heavy work overseas with her job in China. It was seen in research coming up that it was going to be a pretty fast growing language, especially in the business world. So uh, she kind of steered me toward the Chinese route. And that was in middle school at some time. And I ended up carrying that on through high school and uh, through college. Now I'm still taking it. So that was all her doing. I'll say that. I actually got to put it to use, like you said, uh, my senior year in high school, my team took a trip to China. It was an inaugural basketball tournament. We were there for about nine or 10 days. And the first five or six days was just tourism stuff. And uh, we were kind of going around to different places. And uh, I was kind of our translator for anything that they needed. So that was pretty cool. I'm pretty sure she came out to China at the time as well. So I know she was probably pretty proud of that. I'm sure on so many levels. I mean, it's already impressive to commit yourself and dedicate yourself to one language, but I'm just going to say it as a Black American, African American from the United States, speaking Mandarin around and in your communities and the spaces you occupy. But then in China, <laughs> I'm just like, that must have been a sight. I mean, more so for the Chinese people, right? So did you get any like, comments about that? Like, oh my God, you can speak Chinese or like you can speak Mandarin. And like, what was that like? What were the comments and what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, I got a couple because over there, they're not used to seeing Black people. Period. Period. But not Black people who can speak Mandarin. Yeah, just Black people. Yes. And, uh, yes. So they would come up to us and ask us to take a couple of pictures. Most of them didn't speak English. So when they would try to say something, my teammates would kind of look at me and, and then I would speak back and you could kind of see their expression on their face, kind of like surprised and all. So that was pretty cool just to kind of put it to use in the native country. That was cool. 
Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you say something simple, a couple simple sentences for us? <laughs> I knew that was coming. I don't know what's a good thing to say, but... Say, good morning. I hope you have a great day. Ni hao. Ni erwo xiang yao Let's go. Thank you. Thank you for humoring me. I need to put the Google Translate on that, you know? <laughs> LinkedIn. Oh my God. I know that, Trey, you are more than just a student athlete. You pride yourself in other identities. And I think so many kids coming up feel like when you strive to be an athlete in college, that there's no time or even space to dedicate other identities. Like, what would you describe as the other identities that you have besides student athlete? And how have your parents helped you to form those identities? I mean, I'll be honest, like basketball occupies a lot of my life. <laughs> my dad would say he calls me a basketball junkie. Like there's basketball on, I'm probably watching it. But I mean, I do like to do stuff outside of that. Just kind of, uh, my mom especially got me into different volunteer activities growing up and being in the community. So that's something that, that's really big to me now. Just uh, kind of giving back to the community, volunteering where I can, when I have the time and um I've always just try to be someone that's there for others as well. So just like, I'm always just kind of hanging out with friends. And if they need me, I'm usually talking to them, stuff like that. It, it can be hard at times for sure, just with uh, the schedule that we have as student athletes. But um, I try my best to manage the time as best as I can. And I think kind of my high school really, really helped me with that because it was definitely a pretty challenging high school. And at the time we were playing a national schedule. So um, I kind of got a little preview to what I would see in college. So. Thank you for that. Langston, what do you see in him besides a student athlete? What have you strive to raise in him as a human being? You know, it's funny you ask that question because when he was going off to school, to college, I think we were riding to the airport and I asked him, I said, Trey, have I done a good job raising you? You, know, you remember that, Trey? Yeah. I said, have I done a good job raising you? Because I wanted to raise a, a well-rounded citizen, a good human being. Somebody who could communicate, somebody who was caring, somebody who wanted to give back to that community, somebody who would be an asset to his neighbor. Mm, mm-hmm. He said he thought I did. And, you know, that made me feel good because I tried. Not just me, my wife, too. Exposed him to a number of different places, nations, environments, people, so he could see there's more than just your neighborhood. And I think he's seen that there's more to life than just what's outside the corner. Now, basketball does take up, as he said, a large portion of his life, and it has. And, you know, being a college athlete at a big-time school like Notre Dame, it's a full-time job. It's like a full-time job plus a part-time job. And then you go to school on top of that. So his time is really, really, really restricted. But I do see him, you know, they go out and do things within the South Bend community as a team. And one of his Chinese professors asked him to, to mentor his dad basically teach his kid about basketball so I know he's trying to do do some things and give back but you know he's really busy and I appreciate he's able to keep all that together I've never heard from a coach ever saying Trey's grades are falling off or we're concerned about this or that he's just kind of always been on that the proper path and I'm just I feel blessed and lucky because I hear from so many other parents who have so many other issues with their kids in college and at least I, he has never called me really to say anything's wrong. I just feel blessed and lucky because, you know, I feel like we tried to do some groundwork when he was growing up and I'm hoping that that's what we're seeing now is the fruition of those efforts when when he was a kid. We're absolutely seeing it. I know you and Whitney work really hard with Trey and Kamani to be the best human beings and to be generous and give back. And I mean, We've talked about this before, me and Whitney and then Trey about, and you a little bit, Langston, about the social media, about how Trey don't really want to be on it. <laughs> no, he needs to be on it more than he does it. He won't get on it. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I mean, but when I do see posts, he's with a kid. Yeah. Right, Trey? So you prioritize, and I know that you have a, a natural inclination to be good with kids. Like, people have told you that, and I, I know you believe that. Like, you're humble. There's no ego going on on social media or anywhere, really. And I want people to see that that's the truth. How are you selective in what you post when you do? How do you choose that? So the stuff with the kids, a lot of time, it's just like people will tag me and stuff with when I take pictures like with their kids or with them around kids and stuff like that. So I'll put that on like my story or stuff. But like, 
I'm actually on social media because like probably too much to be honest with you. Like I'm I'm always on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, something just scrolling. I just don't say too much or post a lot. I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to that or a method to it. <laughs> it was actually a funny story. I hadn't made an Instagram post in like over a year. And I was laughing about it with Kamani. Like, like I almost like I feel like I need to post at some point, like because just to show that I like I'm still here almost. But yeah, it's just like I don't know if it's like I'm selective in what I post. It's just I just don't post a lot. And I don't know if there's really any method to it or not. Yeah, and that's the difference there. You're on it a lot, but no one knows you're on it because you don't post. And it is what it is. You get to do whatever the heck you want with it. But you're kind of that quiet sort of one who notices everything, observes everything, but not, doesn't need to like yeah. say anything about yeah. it particularly. And I appreciate that because there's a lot of young men out there who will have any reason to say something. And oftentimes it ain't positive. So that's your home training too. That's how you were raised. So <laughs> you got to be careful with social media because things you say in 2019 can come back to haunt you in 2022. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think just the fact that Trey doesn't feel he needs to. Yeah. Right. He speaks for himself and the actions that he has on the court and off. He doesn't need to prove that or show that to anybody. So I appreciate there's a level of maturity and just confidence with that, that I think a lot of young people could take lesson from. I mean, Langston, you've been a sports journalist, like I was saying, for almost like 34 years. What's it like to be in the sports industry in that way and to be raising athletes in your family, particularly Trey in this instance? How, how does that overlap? Does it ever become stressful or like how does it inform? I can give you a very long answer to that question, but it helped and it hurt. It helped because by the time I had kids, I knew the landscape. I knew so many coaches. I knew what to expect. I knew where to put him. I knew where to place him. I knew the right school to put him into, the right people to have him around. So I knew all of that, all that stuff. The things that people always ask me, like, you know, what AAU program do I choose? What high school do I choose? Or, you know, what trainer? I mean, I knew all of that stuff. The difficult part was that he was one of the best players in North Carolina in high school, probably top 10. So now I'm the writer and my son is a star. So what do you do? Uh, and so uh-huh. What I did was basically excuse myself. I didn't write about high school basketball pretty much for the, not as so much as freshman year, but the last three years in high school. So when he was making all state and all conference teams and things like that, I didn't vote on it. I had nothing to do with it. I excused myself. It was tough because Providence Day was really good. So they were always in the paper. They're always on the news. They're always on the radio. And people like, the only reason why they're there is because your dad, not because of me. <laughs> you know, you open up USA Today, they're ranked nationally. It wasn't me. And then, you know, I was at an arch rival of his high school one time. I was sitting in the stands just watching my kid play. And I'm clapping, you know, because he's, he's winning. And there was a lady who took offense to me clapping because I'm supposed to be neutral writer at the game. And she took pictures. I see her taking pictures. And so I walk up to her after the game. I said, man, why were you shooting pictures of me? And she's like, you need to not be clapping. You're supposed to be the newspaper reporter. I'm like, but my son is playing. I'm not here for work. I'm just enjoying the game just like you are. And she actually called my boss and you know reported me. I had a lot of instances like that. I wasn't the only one. And it, it was tough. Just dealing with some of that. But at the same time, you know, his high school career, if every parent could have what they had in high school, they'd be very lucky. I mean, they, they played all over the place. You talked to you about China. I mean, every week they were going to Florida or New York or somewhere to play basketball, Georgia, somewhere, and playing all the elite teams. And, you know, my wife and I laugh, you know, we're looking at March Madness, which is how you started out this conversation. And all the guys we're seeing on TV are the guys straight played against in high school. So it's funny. Definitely. No, that's... An interesting story there of how it can get. It's the sort of downfall of being a sports journalist in your town. And then your son is someone that everyone wants to write about potentially and like setting that boundary, right? And like not being the writer for that sport at that level. I couldn't. (laughs) Yeah, I understand. That takes a lot of wherewithal and awareness too to be able to put that up and be like, I can't. Because I can't be objective. If you're asking me to be, you know, right? Yeah, his 10th grade year, they won a state championship and they beat a team that had 10 Division I players on it and the NBA lottery pick, Bam out of Bale, who's at Miami now, NBA All-Star. And Trey was basically the MVP of the game. He had 25 points and six rebounds, six assists, something like that. Just had a humongous game. 
And I'm covering all the state championships before that because they play like five of them in a row or something. And so I covered all of them. This was the last one because it was the biggest one. And so I was sitting there, you know, where are you supposed to be? But I was not covering the game. And I was like clapping underneath the desk, you know, like, good job, son, good job. And I remember, you know, trying to tell you I cried after the game. I don't think I cried. I think I had a little misty eye. But I was just so proud of him to, you know, to play that way on such a big stage. Roy Williams was right in front of us. Uh, the NC State Clemson coaches were to the side of us. And that was one of my favorite moments. He's given me a lot of moments. That's one of my favorite moments is he's ever given me is, is watching him win the state championship in that way. But he's won so many games. And, and I mean, gosh, I mean, just so many memories of uh, him playing basketball, college, high school, bitty ball. <laughs> it's been a fun ride. It's been a fun ride. I hope it's not over. It's been a fun ride. Yeah, exactly. I hope it's not over either. I know it won't be. I know it's not, especially with next year. But you played at Santa Clara your first two years of college ball right around the corner from us. We were able to go to all your home games. I loved it. It was great. We've talked about this before, but share with us, Trey, your process of choosing Santa Clara and then choosing to leave Santa Clara for Notre Dame. What went on for you and your family as much as you know, just for you maybe, in those places and decisions? Yeah, so I mean, kind of growing up where I grew up in Charlotte, every kid's dream is playing ACC. And um, people knew I had a few ACC offers, a few other ACC schools that were recruiting me. When I got to the end of it, it was just Santa Clara. I had a, a really good relationship with the staff. They really believed in me. I knew I was going to play from day one. And I mean, when I visited the school, like I've always been a fan of California, my family would tell you, but when I visited the school, it kind of just like clicked. And like, you kind of, I tell people like, when you visit, when you get the chance to visit schools, you kind of get a gut feeling of like, okay, this is a place for me. I got that feeling two places and Santa Clara was one of them. And uh, that's the, the school I chose to go with. My first year was was really good. We got off to kind of a rocky start and we started to figure it out toward the end. And we ended up having a pretty solid season. And coming to my sophomore year, I thought we were going to have a, a pretty good year. And we started off on a, a nice trajectory and we had some things go on internally that kind of derailed us a little bit. And then COVID hit. California was like the first state to have a, a COVID case. So school shut down. I came home. And from there, it was, I want to say it was about two or three weeks I was at home. And I was just kind of thinking about what I wanted to do if I wanted to go back. And it was a long, a long thought out process, uh, for sure. Because ultimately, I, I didn't feel at the time that it was the best place for me. So I chose to transfer. Thank you for that. You know, I know that because you're a guy who likes the weather, I know that was California helped. And the fact that you know, your mom's originally from Oakland, from out here. There's family. You got your Uncle Yusef. Yeah, I mean, people used to ask me all the time, like, did you get homesick? And I was like, no, I never, never got homesick. Like, I never, like, if I needed anything, I knew you guys would always be there. But I felt very comfortable in the place I was. And like I said, the weather was always great. That was nice. Yeah, Trey's always liked California. I mean, ever since he was a little kid, we would take him out there to visit his grandma. And, you know, he went to uh, Stanford camp, I think it was his freshman year of uh, high school. And you could still actually go go into the airport then. I remember walking to the gate and looking at him, you know, waving at me through the window. I was like, man, my kid's fine. I'll across the country by himself. And, you know, coaches are picking him up. And, you know, he loved it. He loved California. And I think he had the bigger school offers, but there was something about Santa Clara that clicked with them. They just kind of felt like they were going to build this thing around him. And it, it was unfortunate because the coaches that recruited him left right before we got there. That, he didn't include that part, but that was unfortunate. The vision was there, just didn't kind of come together. And then, you know, he decided to make a change after during that COVID year, he came home. We literally had, I don't know, 50, 60 coaches call between 9 a.m. and maybe we didn't get up from the kitchen table. I mean, from the phone ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. It was crazy. I didn't expect, I thought he'd get a, something, but not that much. And I was really kind of pulling for North Carolina, which is my alma mater. Yes, you know, I remember. And, uh -huh. and Roy was calling and, you know, and 
but you know, Trey really fell in love with Notre Dame and, and Mike Bray, and you know, Mike Bray's the ultimate politician, and he just, you know, was just like your favorite uncle, and it just felt right. And then you know, you put together that with his academic aspirations, you can't beat Notre Dame. I mean, wherever you go, you say Notre Dame. Oh yeah, Notre Dame. So I think it was a good fit. And uh, like I said, I hope next year it'll be a great year for him as he finishes out his college career. And you know, I know he wants the ball to keep bouncing after that. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, and the fact that you are working within your scholarship to achieve mm. your master's degree as well. Mm. Like that is huge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, for obvious reasons, Langston, none of your life. <laughs> for mom and dad is very <laughs> The money of it. But like, I know that you and Whitney, you know, worked really hard to make that part of the deal, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. That Trey, you have to do your part to do that while doing basketball and work and have to do summer classes and like work through that to get it done on in time, so to speak. Like that, I want people to hear that that's a huge accomplishment. It's already huge to get a scholarship to go to college to play basketball, but you have academics and now you're also getting your master's degree. Yeah, at least before he answers that question, Trey, tell her about how you just never stopped going to school. I was just kind of constant for you and the demands that it takes to do what you're doing. Because I didn't know that when you told me that. I was like, wow, I guess so. that's true. Yeah, so Santa Clara was on the quarter system. So just for people out there, it's a, it's a 10-week quarter. You have it three times a year and you start you start a little later than normal. Like most schools will start middle August and August. On the quarter system, you start pretty much almost like third, fourth week of September. So school doesn't end till, for us, it was the second week of June. So around like June 10th-ish. So for basketball, you, you go to summer school. So I was in summer school, session one, session two. Then you go to the school for the three quarters. You do summer session one and two again. So in between, you get a couple of weeks off. But when I decided to transfer, since I was coming to a school that's on a semester system, so you're regular two 14-week semesters, they start a little earlier. So summer school started earlier. So as I was finishing up my my school at Santa Clara, that finished on Friday. I want to say it was like June 9th. What did I say? It was like June 9th, June 10th. And my Notre Dame summer school literally started the next Monday. So I got no break from finishing my sophomore year at Santa Clara to summer school at Notre Dame. And then with COVID, Notre Dame pushed up their start date. So normally they would start like August 24th, but they wanted to finish the first semester before Thanksgiving. So they pushed it up, I want to say two, three weeks. Usually you have a fall break or a midterm break in between. We didn't have that this semester because they wanted to finish before Thanksgiving. So it was a full 14 straight weeks. So I was in school pretty much from January to December without a break. And it was, I'm not going to lie to you, it was hard. Like I was, it was very hard. I was exhausted, worn out, tired, but all the adjectives you want to throw out there um, with it. But um, I just had to kind of power through it. And once that Thanksgiving break came, we actually, because of how they did it, we had a, a extended winter break. So once that winter break came, I was the happiest kid you would have seen. I'm sure. I mean, that's intense. That's intense. I don't think a lot of people could do that. Like when it gets hard and like you said, tough. And what do you turn to? What pushes you through it? Like, what do you think about or believe in or say to yourself or to keep going? Uh, it was just trying to just trying to stay disciplined. I knew that like my grades were, I couldn't just fall off a cliff. Like, just get the, the bare minimum requirements. It was just trying to kind of just keep pushing through, keep that in mind, stay disciplined. And I knew I, at the end of it, I was going to get that extended winter break. Because I mean, with the COVID year, it wasn't normal. Like normally you would get, you go to summer school, you get a break and then you come to the fall semester and it's in the middle of the fall semester, you get a break and you have Thanksgiving and then winter break. So you get more breaks in between. So it's not usually as hectic, but but this year we're just kind of just trying to just fight through. And when it got hard, I had a, I had a good support system behind me. would try to keep my spirits up and I just tried to work my way through it as best as I could. Yes, and you have, and you have. I mean, and like economics, majoring in that and all the classes that go within that, that's not peaches and cream. That's some difficult classes. Not to downplay other majors, but like you're better than me because I would not and could not have majored in economics. 
And now to take it to a whole nother level with the master's in business analytics, which I think I'm correct in saying is a lot of statistics. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's not as much statistics as people think. I mean, you're using a lot of data that's coming in, but it's not like as like a lot of quantitative. Like I've taken a lot of statistics classes. I don't like stats at all. Just if I like, I don't like it at all. So if it was heavy stats, I probably wouldn't have gone that route. But it's more just kind of bringing in data and then looking at that data and trying to figure out different ways. Like different classes would be like visuals. Other classes would be trying to clean up the data and more stuff like that. But it, like more stats classes are usually like regression based or very quantitative based. It won't be as much as that. It'll be more kind of, it'll be a lot of coding for sure. That type of using data and stuff like that. Okay, people, you're listening to a collegiate basketball player talking about some stuff that I like kind of lost me there at the end. But like, <laughs> this is what Trey is learning. This is what he's put his mind to. I mean, Langston, when you think about, you know, like asking him, do you think I raised you right? What values and beliefs do you think you raised him in to be able to take this as he has? That year, but just everything. I mean, I, I just want him to be responsible and to be, like I said before, to be a good citizen, Christ-based. I wanted him to be able to take care of himself if I weren't around. and. I wanted him to, to not panic if I went around to understand, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And I think he's got a pretty good grasp of that. Like I said, he doesn't call me about much outside of, hey, how you doing? Or, you know, I missed this shot. What'd you think? I mean, it's, it's not, you know, heavy stuff. It's because I think he's done enough of the heavy lifting where he kind of gets that part of it. He doesn't have to come to me with that stuff as much. And, and he can, you know, if he wants to, but... I just I wanted him just to be able to take care of himself and, and be able to one day have his own family and pass along some of the less hopefully some of the lessons I taught him down the road and and you know I think I hope and I think that you know he he's done that and he's ready to kind of take that mantle. I just want him to be a, a responsible, mature, good citizen. I keep saying that good citizen. When I was raising him, that's all what, what I was always thinking about. It was like because when we were in college, they would always talk about being a good citizen. And even in high school, they talked about being a global citizen. I thought that was interesting. When I was a kid, we always heard good citizen in high school, about global citizens. So that kind of came together. And then, you know, the sports part, basketball is taking them a lot of places. And he's seen a lot of things. I think, you know, he, that's also helped shape who he is, is, is some of the experience he's had with basketball. Not just in terms of geography, just in terms of de- dealing with different people, dealing with different coaches. He had to change teammates. He had to be the new guy twice. And, you know, it hadn't all been pieces and cream. You know, he's been the star. He's been not the star. And it's, he's had to adjust, you know, the different roles. And, you know, he's had some ups and downs. You know, his team has won. They've not won. You know, the first year at Notre Dame, they didn't win as much. This year, they had a tournament run. So he's been through a lot. And I think, you know, having seen the things he's, he's seen and done the things he's done, I think he's ready to to step out and, and be that good citizen I always had hoped he would be. Yes on and off the court and in his community, right? Just everywhere, just the human that he is. And yeah, I think everywhere. Yeah, that just doesn't happen either. You don't wish it and then have it happen. There's things that you've had to teach him and show yeah. him, expose yeah. him to, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, if Trey was to like hit it big in basketball, I think, you know, if he was to be like a star to face the NBA, I think he'd be very well able to handle that. Mm-hmm. Because of all the preparation and yeah, all of the, yeah, yeah. and you know, I know, and I've known this for a long time. You know, even before Trey was born, that you, you and Whitney are Christ-based Christians. Like that's important, and you've raised your boys that way. I think that that's important to note because I mean, Trey, I'm not going to embarrass you, but there's so many times that you know Whitney has called me and has said, "This is what Trey did," or "This is what Trey said," or "This is what he's doing," or reading. Like, I mean, I'm not going to out you in that way, but you can speak to yourself. How would you describe yourself as a Christian and how do you move in Christ on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, he's the one who ultimately gave me all these gifts and talents. And I mean, people ask me all the time, like, <laughs> it's just a funny, a funny thing, like where I get the hype from. Because you look at my dad, he's 5'11", 6 foot, my mom's 5'2". And I just, I mean, it's just like the man above. Like he's the one who blessed me with all these these gifts and talents. And I feel like it's my job to kind of go out there and use what he gave me to try to try to make the world a better place, honestly. Just kind of leave it better. And I found it. And he's put me in different situations. 
with basketball, school, being in the community, stuff like that. So I just try to kind of use what he gave me and put it to the best of my ability. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Trey, how do you feel about prominent athletes starting to bring conversations around mental health to the forefront? Like lots of different athletes, different levels, different sports. Like, how do you view, like, what is your take on those conversations? How how do you feel about mental health and the way they're talking about it? I think it's very important. I mean, just like anybody else, we're human. We go through a lot of ups and downs, whether it's on or off the court. I mean, we go through the same things everybody else goes through. And uh, on top of that, you have your your ups and downs on the court. I think it's very important because for me, personally, I was someone who used to, to bottle up my emotions a lot. I wouldn't say too much, kind of just deal with stuff on my own. And uh, recently, I've been kind of getting out of myself a little bit, trying different things to express myself and just use other people that are there for me to try to help me out. And um, I think I was better off for it. And uh, I think it's definitely important. Just like if, and I wouldn't say like a lot of people kind of wait till like you need it. And I don't think it should be that type of thing. Like it should kind of just be a, a constant thing that you can, that you can rely on. You shouldn't be afraid of it. Because I mean, like I said, we're, we're all human. We all go through different things. So um, I, think, I think it's very important. And I'm glad, I mean, people like the bigger athletes in the NFL and NBA are now speaking up more about it and giving kids the inspiration kind of to, to go out and use it and not have this bad light around going to talk to other people. Because um, I think the older generation was like, you're not tough if you don't like show emotion. Like tough guys are people who don't show emotion. And I think, that's, that's not how it should be. Like You should be able to, to be human. You're going to have those emotions naturally and you shouldn't have to, to kind of bottle them up. Like you should be able to rely on the people around you. And I'm just blessed to have a, a good support system and able to have opportunities where I can rely on other people and, and use those opportunities that I have. Thank you, Trey. That means a lot. You know, it means a lot to everyone who might tune in and listen to that, so that you also feel that mental health is important and something to talk about. And just by you saying that, you're playing your part in destigmatizing these conversations and normalizing them and giving people permission to be able to talk about this. Because like you said, this is a culture change going on right now around it, right? It's not like anymore about, well, mental health means mental illness or mental health is a bad word or something. Like, I think there has to be an ongoing education and information around the difference. And you clearly know that that mental health is how we feel, how we think, and then how we behave as a result. It's as simple as that. At least I think that just like athletes go to get, or people go to get physicals every year. I don't think there's anything wrong with like going to talk to somebody once a year, once a quarter, just to get things off your chest. You got to take care of your mental health just like you take care of your physical health. And I think for the longest that was alluding to, for men, especially black men, that's right. like seen as taboo in our community to like reach out, ask for help, or express any type of emotion. So we bottle it up and have heart attacks, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and all kinds of things because we were trying to be the tough guy. And, and it's okay to go out and talk to people. You know, you hear about LeBron James, who has a, a sports psychiatrist in his employee. And a lot of these colleges are hiring people to, to do these things. And I, I think more and more of these athletes need to take advantage of, of those services because it, it does help. It really does. Yeah, I, was, I mean, at the end of the day, like the brain is more powerful than anything else in your body. Like your brain controls everything that kind of goes on. So like if things aren't functioning up there, like how you want it or in a good way, positive way, like, naturally the other things aren't going to go how you feel so it's almost more important to me that your mental is is there than your physical couldn't have said it any better for either of you langston and trey i mean thank you so much and i think people don't realize though that mind body connection you guys do and you see the importance and i think especially as black men to be able to speak like you are super important and i think that people underestimate the power of the brain and if it's not in the right place power could work against you, yeah. <laughs> right? And so we have to train our brains to be where we want it to be so then our bodies can follow. It's not the other way around, as Trey's talking about, to develop your body and then, oh yeah, the mind, oh wait, what? It's like, it's backwards. Yeah. So Trey, what are your plans now? I know that you have one more year, you'll get your, your master's degree, you'll play basketball again. Do you have visions or goals for after that? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I'll, I'll finish up 
this next year, getting my master's and playing again. And hopefully I'm able to have a good season and put myself in a position to to get some good offers to play at the next level and kind of just see where that takes me. I'm trying not to think too much past like this next year, but I just want to have a, a good final year at Notre Dame, both on and off the court and just kind of see where that takes me. I like it. I like it. And I think that mindset is what gotten you here to like stay in the moments. Don't get too far off. You've learned that if you stay in the moment and just do one step at a time, it'll get you where you want to be. At least I, I, you know, one thing that I've noticed in my career is that we're always a focus on the next thing. Like if you're really good as a as a bitty ball player, well, now you got to be good in middle school. If you're good in high school, now you got to be good in college. If you're good in college, now you got to be good in NBA. Let's just enjoy the moment. Let's enjoy right now. Because it goes by so fast. And if you're always worried about tomorrow, you can't enjoy what's happening right now. A lot of really great things happen to these kids. And I think the parents take sometimes take it away from the kid because they're always focusing on you know, let's get to the next step. Let's enjoy right now. And I, I was glad to hear him say that because I think that's important. Yeah. I mean, on a side tip, I kind of set you up, Trey, because I knew what you were going to say because I know I know you and I want people to hear it. I want people to hear it and you know how to handle it, these questions. I mean, this is kind of like a little media training kind of right now for you to be able to think on your feet about it and just be yourself and answer honestly. And I think there's so many ways, you know, that Langston, you know, like we're parents, take the kids there before the kids are ready. And that's not, you know, take them there. I mean, like from a mindset place and like, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Yeah. I mean, I always think like, yeah, I think especially nowadays with social media, I think we get kind of a false sense of reality sometimes. It's like, you can see so many kids do these great things and like, not everybody's going to be like that. Like, everybody's not going to be an NBA all-star the MLB, all of, like those type of things. Like, so I think it's important, like along the way, just to kind of enjoy what you're doing. Cause I mean, ultimately, like for me, like my childhood dream was to play in the ACC. And like sometimes I kind of lost like a sense of reality. Like I said, like I'm actually doing what I dreamed of as a kid just because I was aspiring so hard to get to the next level. And I, it's like, you're here doing what you dreamt of as a kid, like you're, you're doing it. And I think sometimes like just kind of with everything going on around this, like you kind of lose sense of, of what you're doing. So I think it's definitely important. Yeah. And it's hard to kind of, sometimes it's harder than other times to stay in that moment, just stay focused and to kind of be here. It's not as glamorous. It's not as exciting, but you've already known, have learned that you got to grind it out, as I say, or like go through this to get there and whatever there is will be what it is. And see, that's the thing, Lisa, because like I said, when you're a little kid and you're looking at the big high school, you say, oh, it'd be so exciting to play in front of 3,000 people at the big high school. Okay, well, he did that. He played in those games. And then you think, well, I want to play in front of 20,000 at the big college. He's doing that. And I think sometimes we just forget, as he said, or lose sight of the fact that we're actually doing those things and enjoy it because it goes by so fast. And if you don't, you know, stop and, you know, smell the roses, you lose out on life. And I think... Sometimes you have to really, we only get the one chance to do this. I think you have That's to right. take advantage of all your opportunities and enjoy them. And, you know, I certainly have, as a parent, have enjoyed the places and, and things that his career has allowed me to see and do. And, you know, I'm glad to hear that he's at least thinking that way as well. Yeah, I mean, like, just to kind of pay back off that, like, every, I'm not going to sit here and act like everything was peaches and cream for me. Like, I mean, I had tough times, dark days, long nights just thinking, I mean, even last year, I was struggling, just questioning sometimes some of the decisions that I made. And it's kind of like, you're doing what you're doing for a reason. Like, whether you know it at the time or not, like you're there for a reason. And I think that kind of goes back to my faith a little bit, just kind of trusting in in God. And like, he's putting you in these positions for a reason. You just got to enjoy the moment and not, not look too far ahead or behind about it. Because reality is you can't change the past and you don't know the future. So you just kind of have to to live in the moment. That's right. And you can't take it too seriously either. And really reward yourself and celebrate and like honor the things that you have achieved and, and the ways that you've played for yourself, your family, your schools, that pride. I mean... It's like he said, it's so easy to slip into that mode though, Lisa, where you think that I'm not good enough because you go on social media and you see on Instagram, everybody's living this great life. Or, you know, this guy's going, you know, first pick in the draft. There's only like 14 of those guys are going in the lottery, you know, and only, you know, 40 of them or 50 of them getting picked. And there's, all, there's 300 colleges, 300 plus Division One colleges. So 
you have to not compartmentalize, but you just have to like keep everything in perspective. I mean, it, these great things only happen to this many people. And I'm holding my hands close together for people can't see. <laughs> There's thousands of kids at home dreaming of being on March Madness. You know, thousands of kids at home dreaming about playing for Notre Dame or playing the ACC or playing college basketball, period. There's thousands and thousands of kids that will never play high major basketball because it's hard to get to that level. You know, you might get to Division Two, small Division One, but to play at the level he's playing at is really hard to do. And I think, you know, sometimes we can just kind of get distracted by always trying to find somebody who's doing better than us. When really, you're at a pretty high level where you are. <laughs> and you need to really, you know, thank God that you got to that place and enjoy it. I mean, Trey, what advice would you have for the young ones coming up? Maybe juniors or seniors in high school, choosing a college or a freshman in college, when managing their social media, when they see all this stuff. Like we know that people aren't going to post, I mean, which I think people should more, but post when they don't meet their goals or like failures or like not just the highlights because all of that is a highlight reel. All the things that people post is the things that they've achieved and are proud of. And then kids aren't able to really see the difference. Like what advice would you give the young ones about like how to actually interpret what's on there, like take it in. Yeah, it's kind of funny, yes, because Kamani is in that same stage right here in high school and he's kind of struggling with the same things. And I would just tell people like you run your own race. Like everybody's different. We all blossom at different times. And if you do the things that you're supposed to do, work hard, treat others right, stay in the classroom, all those type of things, like it'll, it'll probably pay off at some point. I don't know when. I don't know when it's going to happen. For some people, it's when they want it to. For some people, it's not. It's just kind of reality. But I think if you do continue to do those things, it'll pay off at some point in your life, whether that's going to the college you want, the after college, and your, your work life. Like Those type of habits end up paying off sometime down the road. And just kind of you have to run your own race. Like we're all blessed with different talents and gifts. Like, I mean, for in Kamani's case, he's a little shorter, a little less athletic than I was coming up. And it's kind of hard for him because like he goes to the same school that I went to and people kind of were looking at him to be kind of the next me. And I'm like, just go be yourself. Like you're your own person, run your own race. At some point, it'll the stuff that you're doing will pay off. I, I can't tell you when, I don't know when, I'm not a genie, but at some point, it, it will pay off and um, just kind of, like I said, just run your own race. Yeah, the football coaches high school always has a saying, hard work works. I think it does. And I think the other thing is these kids just forget how long life is. They think that if you don't get it by 22 or 24, it's just the end of the world. I mean, you just have so much life to live. I mean, you know, I'm 55 years old. <laughs> and Trey, Trey, I mean, I, I'm thinking when I was 40, I, I used to think 40 was old. And I, now I think 40 is like really, really young. And Trey probably would say you're 40s old. <laughs> and so you just have so much, so much life to live. And you just want to put yourself in a good position to live that life. And it doesn't have to all happen between 18 and 22. That's right. And I think like going to college is like if you're able to to get any money from a school, that's that's an accomplishment in itself. I mean, like for me, I didn't think about it until probably this last year as I was having some conversation with some people that like I'm going to walk away from this with zero student loans and two degrees. And exactly. Regardless of like how my, my life turns out bad playing basketball like i'll always be able to look back like i have two degrees from the university of notre dame and i have zero with that what i tell you about being 40 with a degree from notre dame what i tell you about that <laughs> it'll, it'll be very very good to have but yeah just i mean if you're able to, if you're able to get any any money from a school that's an accomplishment in yourself because i mean like a lot of these i mean not everybody's going to play football or basketball like those two dominant sports where the money is looking very good in professional life. Like some people play softball, volleyball, where like post-college, you're not really aspiring to play professional sports. So if you're able to go to school and get money from the school and be able to get a good education, I mean, that's all you can, that's all you can really ask for. Exactly. Now with the NIL, you can get paid in school too. I mean, that's Trace kind of on the backside of that, but these kids coming in now with, you know, the leverage of social media stuff, there's a couple of softball girls making like six figures right now. So I mean, yes. You can set yourself up with a pretty nice little nest egg now, too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, we could talk about NIL, too, for hours, I'm sure. But, like, I know on my end with this, Langston, I know that Trey is your best friend. He's your son and your best friend. 
How does it feel for you right now to hear him speak like he has today with us here and have him talk about these things? And how does that make you feel? See, now every time I do these interviews, y'all want to like ask me these crying questions at the end. <laughs> we did a video when he was in high school. These guys came and filmed for like, I don't know, a week and they asked me all these questions. They got me crying at the end of it. And they, that's what they used on the, on the video. You know, I, I'm just proud. I, you know, I, I work really hard. My father didn't live with my mother when I was growing up. It was a big goal of mine to have two boys. I used to pray to God every day, give me two boys, a white picket fence and a good wife. I got all of those things. I didn't get the dog I wanted. She wouldn't let me get the dog. But I, did, I actually did truly have a white picket fence. And I said, I'm never going to cheat on my wife. I'm never going to do bad. I'm going to do the best I can for my boys. I'm going to give them every bit of me that I have to give, good, bad, or indifferent, and let the chips fall where they may. And I'm just proud when I hear him talking the way to you and I see him doing interviews or I see him interacting with other people. I'm just proud because I, I feel like I don't know how much of that is that I'm responsible for, but I think that myself and my wife have turned out a, a really good, I'm going to use that word again, a really good citizen. And I think that he's going to go do great things in life. And I don't know where, where life is going to take him. I think he'll probably play some type of professional basketball after this, but I think he's going to do really good things in life. I, mean, I can see him being, you know, in some type of leadership role in the community. I could see him running a business. I, I mean, I just think he's going to do really, really big things in life. And I think he's, he's got the intelligence, the emotional intelligence, and the community awareness to be a really good citizen in some community when it gets done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Trey, how does it feel to hear all that stuff from your dad? It's nice to hear. I think you just hear so many stories of parents struggling with kids, getting them to kind of be how they want to be. And I mean, I spent so, we spent so much time together growing up, whether that was going to see sporting events on the golf course, traveling back and forth for basketball. Just, I mean, we spent so much time together. And just to know that I've kind of made him proud and, and made his, we'll just call it dreams come true. But I mean, I, I can't really ask for much more. I mean, I, I've never, I mean, I've always just tried to, be the best person I can be. And um, I think that's something they both instilled in me from a young age. And um, just to make them make them both proud, I, I think it's cool. And uh, I was actually telling my some of my friends that uh, when graduation day comes on Sunday, I think my mom will be more proud than, or next in May on Sunday, um, my mom will be more proud of me than, than any other moment in my life. Just because I think, like you talked about, they both came from single parent households. I want to say they were both, my dad, are you were first generation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad. No, 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 I'm second. Both second. second generation, but they, they kind of, let's say, got out of the mud, for use of lack of a better term, um, just for them to be able to provide me and my brother with um, everything we could really ask for. And us, for me to be able to kind of give that back to them. When she sees a diploma with my, my government name in the University of Notre Dame, I, I think <laughs> there, will, there will be a lot of tears shed. Uh, I'll say that. I think that'll be probably her proudest moment to this day, regardless of how I play basketball or not. I think her dream for, for me and Kamani is always just to get a good education. Like my dad said before, um, Notre Dame is hard to beat. So I think when she sees Langston Horst III with the graduate from Notre Dame, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of tears shed. Yes, and rightly so. The pride, pride, the joy. It's been my honor to be a part of your family in the way I have been, the way our families know each other. I mean, you've been a role model, whether you like it or not, for my kids. I deeply respect Langston and Whitney, the way that you show up in the world, the humans that you are, and the way now that who you are is now reflected in your sons is really, really special. And I look forward to, you know, many more celebrations, whatever they might be about, and sharing in these special moments, which are your lives. So I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you taking the time. And just, I know so many are going to be so moved and get so much value out of this conversation. So thank you so much for being here with me. Yeah, thanks for having us. I was actually driving back from Indiana last week. We listened to some of your podcasts. I was like, Lisa's really good at this. She's really into this. And so congratulations on, you know, having such a, a really good positive podcast. It's definitely on my, my list with automatically loads. I hear all your new episodes. So keep it going. Thanks, Langston. That means a lot. I really appreciate it. One of my favorite things about our sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. 
We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sports Epreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.